I'm a little disappointed in last week's sports discussion because <laughs> no one mentioned that I am the best uh, basketball player. I think, and as long as we're talking about inheritance, I think I inherited all of the athletic abilities <laughs> in the family. Listening <laughs> <laughs> to last week, so I'm just going to put that in there. <laughs> this is Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Petzinger Brothers Podcast. Kick back and enjoy the musings of James, John, David, Joseph, and Ben, five brothers raised decades ago on a dysfunctional farm in western Idaho. Welcome back to the Petzinger Brothers Podcast. Today is October 12th, 2009. I am James. I'm John. I'm David. I'm Joseph. This is Ben. It has been an interesting week. We got a lot of great feedback from last week's podcast. Apparently, the topic of sports, or at least our discussion of it, was quite popular among those who heard it. We've seen subscriptions to the podcast increasing gradually over time. So this is all good. This is this means that uh, uh, we're doing a good thing here. We're doing a, a fun thing, and people are appreciating it and enjoying it, as am I, putting it all together. I'm looking forward to today's uh, discussion. We're going to talk about inheritance. Most of the time, when people hear the word inheritance, they think of perhaps um, a monetary fund that is left over when someone passes away. But that's not really what our focus is going to be. We're going to be discussing the things that we inherited from our parents, from our grandparents, the things that were handed down to us uh, both genetically and through observing what they did and taking on some of those attributes for ourselves. So to kick it off, I think one of the obvious things that was passed down from mom, unfortunately not to all of us, just to John, was artistic ability uh, in terms of the ability to draw. Uh, John, why don't you elaborate on that and where you know what that's been in your life? Well, I'm always humbled when I play that game, Pictionary. I cannot play the game. And so <laughs> I, I don't know if I can... <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I, I guess I've proved myself occasionally here the and there. The depth is wrong. <laughs> yeah, the scale is off. Shadow, the shadow is off. Stop. <laughs> the symmetry is just not there. <laughs> okay. No, no, they 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 turn out looking every bit as stick figure as everybody else is in the room. And it, and it really blows any expectation out there that anybody might have that, that I can paint or draw. Um, so I, I don't know what it is. It, it, uh, I think it's the pressure of being under the clock or something, but it all just disappears completely when I play that game. Yeah, the artistic ability, I think it's just it's something I had when I was a little kid. I, I was uh, I was kind of like a Xerox machine. Let's put it that way. I, you know, what I, what I put in front of me, I was able to draw or copy. 
And I think that's where it started. I just had good uh, eye-hand coordination with, you know, looking at something, being able to put it down. And that's where it started. But I certainly never thought of myself as an artist, you know. It is definitely a talent, an ability that you are the only one that possesses. Because I cannot look at something and then draw it or make a rendition of it on a, on a piece of paper. Um, even the simplest of items... I cannot draw a can of soda, and it can be sitting in front of me, no matter how hard I try, I cannot reproduce it on paper, or any other medium for that matter, to look like a can of soda. That being said, give me a set of drafting tools, and I can reproduce anything mm -hmm. on paper with those drafting tools. This artistic ability, uh, it's very clear that that was something that you got from mom, because I remember her always uh, with her pastels, her her choice her her uh, medium of choice was pastel on what was the i it was some kind of uh i, I don't know it, it had a it was a felt uh, canvas was it felt it yeah it had some felt. kind of a funky tooth to it yeah uh, and I, I said pastels i should say charcoals no they were pastels no, yeah they're pastels yeah. she she did charcoals uh -huh. few, charcoals a few times, but mostly it's pastels when she would do portraits for people. Mm -hmm. I mean, folks would pay her to do a, a portrait of them or a, f a family member or something. I just remember always, as, as I was growing up, being envious of that talent. Always thought, man, how beautiful is that? Especially when you were in high school and you started producing really, truly amazing pieces of art just blew me away all the time. I couldn't believe how beautiful some of this stuff was. And I just thought, wow, that is just so cool. Well, yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, I do. Uh, but again, it, it still fits in the category of uh, a Xerox machine, <laughs> really. Uh, and so I, I guess that's where I... Well, perhaps that's true for back then, but it's certainly not true any longer. I've seen some of the original work that you've put out, and that's... I wouldn't call that Xerox machine that, material in any way. Right, right. And I think that, for me anyway, that's where... Um, that's where I realized, well, okay, uh, this, this may have some merit. Um, I'm, I'm not just a, a Xerox machine. You know, the eye-hand coordination is an awfully important thing, especially if you've got something in your head you want to put down. It, it's, it's nice to be able to put it down. So that's where it starts anyway. But mm -hmm. it, ultimately, uh, good art, you know, it's, it's got to start from, from the mind. And I think mom and dad both had a lot of that. And dad uh, was the extreme when it comes to abstract thinking and, and just the way he behaved, everything about him. I, uh, he reminded me a lot when I went on to school and studied it. A lot of my professors reminded me of dad, or dad reminded me of them. Their their mannerisms and just the way they approach life, and their philosophies, uh, very, very similar. I remember dad was very good at the piano. I don't know how, how much he, I never really saw him practicing or heard him practice a whole lot, but when when he would hear something, he could just start playing it, or he'd be reminded of somehow something sound, and he could just start playing it. And then he'd start improvising into it. And he'd add his own little, you know, his little flair to whatever Christmas song or whatever song he would play on the piano. It was really fun to listen to. Yeah, he didn't play sheet music. Do you remember how he would improvise the church hymns when he would substitute? Yeah, there's no, there was no sheet music up there. No, he would he, just, he, he'd just be up there playing. Yeah, I think it threw some people for a loop because... His uh, prelude and uh, postlude music was a little different. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. 
um, yeah, he, he certainly had a, a, a flair for entertainment when he sat down on that uh, piano bench and uh, put his fingers on the ivories. He enjoyed it. And I remember the more he got into it, the more his, his lips would invert. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. You know, he'd get lost in it and uh, his he'd start pulling his lips in, into his mouth, you know, and because and, uh, he was really concentrating on what he was doing. That's when you knew, okay, this is – whatever he's doing right now is really coming from, from a, a place of creativity. It's not coming out of memory. It's not coming out of rote practice. This is coming out of who knows where. Didn't, didn't Dad say he liked jazz? Oh yeah. Didn't he? He said he actually liked. I was probably, but we never heard it. I never heard him playing it. But he he said he liked jazz, and that's the kind of I think that was the kind of creative flow that he would get into. We switched tracks from uh, you know visual art to musical art, uh, musical capabilities. But when it comes to that, there was a lot of music and a lot of musical ability that I believe got uh, handed down. I certainly can carry a tune. I can sing in tune, and I'm, I know for sure that I got that from both mom and dad. Yeah. yeah they both uh, sung very well. Yeah, I don't think any of us are tone deaf. No, I, I tried out for madrigals. I didn't make it. Yeah, I didn't make madrigals either. Uh, <laughs> but okay. that wasn't that, I don't think that was because I could or could not sing. It's because I wasn't ready for mm-hmm. the music that they had prepared there. I, I went in and... and bombed the audition the the audition because i didn't know the music you know still can carry a tune i think that's another thing i know for for sure that's something that gets handed down generation to generation not me i did not get any of it oh really so, oh no i i have no musical ability at all i took oh, i took piano i took piano for five years i can't play a note okay, five that's years. what i was going to say I, I remember you practicing that piano john yeah, five years, I cannot play a note. I can't read sheet music, nothing. So I don't know what that, well, I, I don't know. I've got, I guess, theories on what that might mean about me, but either I'm just extremely stubborn. It's nothing I wanted to do as a kid, mm-hmm. so I just blocked it out. I refused. Um, or I just really wasn't able to learn the piano. Uh, I do remember uh, that the one song, and there was really only one song you ever wanted to learn, was the Darth Vader theme from Star Wars. You Empire Strikes Back. Yep, that's the only bum, thing bum, I cared. Bum, bum. Yeah. That, that, that's, that sums it up. That was yeah. the only thing. <laughs> yeah, you'd be banging that out on the piano every day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I that. Well, uh, you know, speaking for myself... Musical ability was something that I did not know I had uh, in terms of playing an instrument. And it was one of those things that when I found out I did have it, it was not something I appreciated at all. It was terribly dismaying to me on my eighth birthday to wake up and uh, find that my gift, you know, my birthday gift for that year was a violin. You you couldn't have disappointed an eight-year-old boy any more than 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 that i couldn't believe it i looked at that and i thought you what are you serious i remember you pulling a fit about it we were were living we were living in the trailer house at the time on the property when we were building the house and we were in the kitchen and you pulled a fit and mom was so upset (laughs) and then i got upset and then i grabbed the violin and i started trying to play it 
and I was I, I I was trying to convince. I don't remember Dad being there. We're trying to convince Mom. I'll play it. I want to play it. Um, but that, well, that never happened. They insisted that you play. Yeah. Well, it was an interesting. Uh, it was an interesting thing. One that I did not appreciate then. Um, I just and I know that you know you look back on it and you think, wow, that must have been uh, very disappointing for parents to have that kind of reaction from a kid when you really think you're doing a good thing for them to have them that opposed to the idea. And I really, really, it took a very long time for me to uh, get to the point where I would tolerate playing the violin. The thing was, after a couple of lessons, it became pretty obvious to me and to the violin teacher that this was really easy for me. Who was your violin teacher, James? Uh, Mrs. Miller. Did you learn... Uh, to read sheet music first. No, learn the Suzuki style. It, yeah, it was the Suzuki method where they you uh, emulate or mimic the sounds that you hear, but then you've got a lot of sheet scales that you have to learn. So you you do a lot of fundamentals all the time, and then you gradually build on those fundamentals, the finger placements and all that, with music that you've heard. And that was one of those things that I think. It became, it became very apparent that I had a good ear for it because she'd play it once and then I'd play it. Or I knew what to do to play it. Maybe my fingers wouldn't go there quickly enough without practice, but I at least, once I heard it, I knew what to do. And that that I think I got from Dad and that ability of his to hear something and then just play on it and, and riff on it later on. Mm. I never appreciated uh, the ability to play the violin in my youth, ever, and that's a—I know it's a kind of a horrible thing to say, but um, it was not something I enjoyed doing. Interestingly enough, I took my violin with me to college and auditioned for the orchestra in college and was allowed in. I, I actually made the cut, hmm. and for the first time ever, I really, really started to enjoy playing the violin because I was surrounded by people who. You know, the violin wasn't just something that their parents voiced on them or a hobby or anything like that. They were truly, it was a real part of their lives. And it was some of that, I could feel that vibe and it was a really, really rewarding experience. Plus, I found I could make money teaching beginners how to play violin. And that uh, extra pocket money came in handy on that during that freshman year. So, Mm. but yeah, that was a talent that I inherited that I did not appreciate until much later on. I appreciate it now. I certainly do. Do you still yeah. have a violin now? Do you oh, yeah. Now? Mm-hmm. Um, I bought a new bow not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, the old bow was just not doing the trick. And I certainly cannot play it as well as I could back then, but I can still play. And there have been times when uh, we've had, like, you know, Alicia and I will play together uh, for a talent show or something. And she, mm-hmm. plays, she plays the piano. Did any of you guys ever ask for lessons? Oh, no. I- I ask that they stop, please. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's about is, where we were all at. Well, for for as little money as mom and dad made, Joseph and I had private lessons with Walter Cervani. Remember that name, Joseph? Oh yeah. We, we we took those awesome. lessons at uh, Jewett Auditorium, right yep. there at the uh, former College of Idaho. Now it's called Albertsons College of Idaho. Of course, it's been a long time that name, but. Um, yeah, Joseph and I both took lessons. Joseph, you later went into the viola, but I was in the violin, and I remember playing from a very young age. I actually did enjoy it. I didn't enjoy coming home and practicing, mostly because we had to practice in the back room where it was freezing cold. 
and your fingers didn't work. Yeah, yeah. it could never the violin or the viola would never stay in tune. Yeah, the the, the strings would start to constrict. Exactly. So, you see our breath. Pegs, you couldn't get the pegs to hold. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous yeah. back there. But uh, uh, no, I remember going into orchestra, and I I played in school orchestra up until. Um, my sophomore year in high school, and then I made a decision that uh, you cannot play varsity football and be in the orchestra at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Was that a time decision, or was that a uh, a different type of decision? I, I think it was. I probably justified it as a time decision. If I really wanted to keep playing in the orchestra, I could have found a way. I mean, that's the way most decisions are. Yeah. But uh, I I bought a violin um, in the year two thousand. And I've had this same violin now for, well, nine years. Mm. And uh, I do get it out every once in a while. I have a couple broken strings, but I, I, it is, for me, it's a very mentally relaxing thing to do to pull out sheet music. Jelena and I have played a couple duets here and there. She's very good on the piano. And um, I wish I took the time. I shouldn't say I wish. I should take the time to do more of that and to let my kids see me uh, concentrate because I don't I don't like using sheet music as much. I like to memorize it, be, perhaps because of the Suzuki method. I, I prefer to commit things to memory. For some reason, there, there there's more of a, a mental connection with the music if you're not just uh, reading sheet music. I don't know if that makes any sense to anybody that's listening, but for me, I do like to memorize a song, master it, and then move on to something else. Sure, but sure, yeah, that that is pretty fun. Um, to to play, Joseph, you were you were in my uh, viola and David cello. Yep, yep. David was Yo Yo Ma before Yo Yo Ma was Yo Yo Ma. Yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed uh, playing it to a certain extent. It was it was that that was a tough instrument to carry around, and uh, getting that on the bus. That's why I sat alone for so many years on the bus. I, I sat next <laughs> to cello. Blame it on the cello. to make friends with with uh, cello. And... You should have just put a wig on it, put some eyeballs, a little smiley face. This is my friend. <laughs> yeah, I, I had the same experience practicing. It was cold in the living room where we practiced, and, and it was hard to do that. But uh, I think I stopped playing in junior high. I, I think I stopped after the eighth grade. That was it. It's just too hard to run down the driveway carrying a cello. That was, you know. I can't believe I brought it home to practice. I really can't. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking, but I guess we had to. I don't. Yeah. No, what choice do you have? There's only one instrument. It's not like you've got one at home and one at school. Yeah. I rented a viola uh, from the time I started playing it in seventh grade, I think, or sixth grade, all the way through when I graduated. And it had it was the oldest, most beat up thing you ever saw in your life. There were gouges in it. Some of them were for me. Some of them were before me. Uh, but it had the best tone. I mean, it was just absolutely beautiful to listen mm-hmm. to that instrument. And when I when I would get a song down, it just sounded great. And you know, I've I've tried other violas since then. I I bought one. It sounds terrible. And I, so I, I don't like to play it. Uh, you know, and that's that's a really important part of the instrument is is the tone that comes out, the vibrations, and uh, you know, and it helps with that because I can on the piano or with a viola or a violin, if I know the song, I can play it in my head. Just I know what the notes are supposed to sound like, and I'll just play them on the piano or play them on the viola, 
Um, not perfectly, but I could if I practiced for about 10 minutes with the song, especially hymns or Christmas songs. I can just, you know, no problem. Sure. Bang them right out. Yep. Yeah, I, I just, I remember being very, uh, feeling very cheated, you know, that I couldn't, I didn't get it. Nothing. And, uh, you know, watching Dad play, I just thought it was just amazing because he didn't have sheet music and it would just come out of nowhere and it, it was just terrific. Um, and I could tell he was frustrated too. Yeah. That, you know, why, why don't you get this? Uh, I honestly, I didn't, I didn't hear it. I didn't see it. I remember being back then and, and, uh, it, it was just the, the, the most I remember about piano lessons was walking from middle school across Caldwell to Dorsey music, where I had my lessons at the back of the Dorsey music, um, you know, sales floor. Uh, and on the way is stopping at George's Jip Joint. Remember George's Jip Joint? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is that is all I remember for five years of piano lessons. That's the only thing I remember about piano is stopping in there, getting my wintergreen lifesavers, <laughs> and then going back to the adult <laughs> section. While George is, he is just. Hollering because you know he's paraplegic, he can't get up and go get. Me. <laughs> but he's hollering at me, and I'm just turning around and just like, yeah, 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 whatever, it's okay. I'm, I'll just be a minute. <laughs> that was on the way to my lesson, so I'm, I'm wondering if that has something to do with it. I was probably just so distracted <laughs> by what, what, what I had just seen. I don't know, <laughs> but. That was a big deal. I looked forward to piano lessons for that. That was great. <laughs> that wasn't a... Now, in fact, if I were to put a dollar amount on anything um, that, that I inherited, this goes back to mom's side of the family, a good sense of humor from the Gingell side, from grandma's side. Uh, for my children, it would be their great-grandmother, and her maiden name is Gingell. And just the stories that we heard and just being around grandma and her sense of humor. And it wasn't, it, it wasn't always funny and slapstick. It was, there was some dark humor in there that was really good. And I appreciated that. And, you know, James, when you mentioned this, uh, I, I appreciate a good argument. The critical thinking and arguing that dad was able to instill upon us, not always argumentative in a, in a combative way, but, an open discussion, get your point on the table, defend your position, defend your position, and then attack your opponent's position and break it apart. Enjoy that. That's yeah. something I really enjoy. And I, I really, I know I rub a lot of people the wrong way because I'm, I'm very quick to kind of square off and, okay, let's, let's go at it. Let's figure this out. Yeah. And, and without being, um, emotion without going emotionally overboard. Yeah. You, you have to keep your emotions in check or it's, it's, you're not really going to have a constructive uh, right. discussion. And that really truly is something that, uh, I think was handed down to us, um, was the, the ability to communicate with one another. I, I truly believe that that is one of the things that allows us to do this podcast so successfully is that, one of the things that we inherited was that ability to converse with each other in a very reasonable way and to share with each other, you know, the ideas and experiences that we're uh, encountering at the time or that we've encountered in the past. It was, it was a definitely a part of growing up. And that was one of the things that got handed down to us. Not, not a whole lot of people understand that though. Um, 
from the outside looking in, I can speak from personal experience with getting into a deep discussion with dad that my wife, uh, Julina, thought we were just arguing. And it just drove her insane that we would sit there and, and chew on the same subject for hours and not get anywhere with each other. <laughs> and she, yeah. I, I remember she was in the living room and dad and I were having this discussion. And it really, I'm sure it was politically driven. That's usually mostly what, what we had discussed. And she just, I've had enough. And she, she walked out, you know, and I <laughs> thought, well, you know, I hope she gets used to it. But that's just what pet singers do. And that's generational right there. That's what pet singers do. We yeah. just sit, we, we'll argue with each other. And I do and, remember that this was something that dad and Oma and Opa did. They would sit down for hours talking. Now, I didn't understand anything that they were saying. But whenever they were together, they would really literally just verbally hash it all out for hours and hours on end. Yes, hours. That's if what they Mont- did when they were together. Yeah. Yeah. If Montford were there, was there, it was always loud. Yes. Always loud if Montford was with that. Um, but I, I don't remember being, I mean, maybe a little bit bothered, but it was expected. It was just so common. Because, yeah, you know, whether it was in person or on the phone, they're always yelling at each other. And 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 I think I'm I'm guessing he's never said it, but I think Dad enjoyed arguing with him. But <laughs> oh, I there's think no he liked question. it. There's no I question. Think, I think he liked pushing Munford's buttons. I think he, he liked every one of those buttons. Yeah. yeah. In Munford, his face would go red and he starts sweating, and I think Dad just liked doing it. Did I ever tell you guys about the the meeting between Munford and Dad when Dad was terminally ill? No. This is interesting. Uh, it, it, it really made an impression upon me, and it's it's a tough story to tell, but this this has to do with inheritance because here you have two brothers. They both immigrated to the states. They had a very similar start in the United States, and they had a, a very wide difference of opinion on general things of of uh, whether it's politics or raising a family or careers, whatever. But they were very different from each other. And yet, like you said, John and James, I mean, we all know it. They argued a lot, and they were loud. I think if we ever heard Dad screaming on the phone, who was he talking to? Oh, yeah, Munford. Yeah, well, he was talking to his brother. So Dad's terminally ill. Munford flies to Boise, and uh, Dad's in the the living room at his house there with Tony and Munford comes in, and I think Dad was asleep. And so Munford and I had a chance to talk a little bit. And Dad came from the back room where he was sleeping to the living room. They didn't say a word to each other. All they did was they hugged and cried. And that, that was hard for me to see because what a waste of 40-plus years. And I, I shouldn't say a waste, but what could have been if they had just figured out how to put the hatchets away, the verbal whatever they had between each other, if they could have just put that away, what they could have done together. They started over here with a head of steam and you know, they worked their tails off and they bought those houses and they, they really worked hard. But the, the tragedy was it took them until that brink of losing one of them to, to figure that out. Not exactly a, 
a bright and happy memory, but that's a memory I'll, I can't ever shake hmm. because that healed it healed it all. It was amazing. That's all it took. And unfortunately, it was a it was a, almost a little bit too late. But at least they reconciled. We should consider ourselves to be quite fortunate that there's not that sense of strife or a schism between us that I can that I can tell. I'm very thankful for that. The relationship between Dad and Manfred with they're so competitive. I always saw that, and they were always jabbing each other with with trying to one up the other or tell the other they're doing something wrong. You know, this is the right way to do it. And I have I've never really experienced that. I mean, there was that when we were growing up, um, but I, I don't feel uh, competitive with you. Uh, as a matter of fact, the more success you have, the the uh, I feel good about that. So I, I don't know. I mean, that's I, I would I would think that's the same all the way around. There's no competitive um, feeling. When I see one of you that has something completely different than than me, you know, like like John said, the more success you guys have, the better I feel. You know, if if you've got a Land Rover or a or a Jeep or whatever, I mean, that's cool. And and it I don't have land it's never understood it. Well, <laughs> well, it's, both, uh, good. That makes trans- me feel better. So I was jealous. <laughs> By the way, both of the transmissions that, that are makes you have to feel deep. even better. <laughs> even better. <laughs> uh, it's an interesting think, thing that that combative nature was not something that got passed down. I think it has to do with their mother. There's an untold story here. I don't. I'm not. I'm not going to say too much but um i think it has something to do with that i think we were all tempered by our mom and how nice she was and i i I just think there was something to do with the way they were brought up and there's an untold story there but i think it has something to do with oma and the difference between oma and our mom yeah that's very true i agree agree, david that's a good point mom uh mom mom is a very gentle natured loving person very gentle yeah when things got rough between us she she would be very gentle and i remember her coming to me several times and saying that you know she was just so loving and gentle about it that she was very um very clear about things having to change and uh i'm just very glad about that it truly is something that i think um again i go back to what i've already said before makes it possible for us to enjoy the relationship that we have now, to have that influence in the home, uh, especially, you know, especially considering what we have been describing as, as, as what were the examples that we saw in, in some of our uh, adult relatives. Respect was one thing that I remember was a big deal. And uh, I remember very clearly one of the lessons I learned at a very young age um, I, was, I don't know what grade I was in, maybe third grade or something. And I brought home a joke that I had heard at school. Everybody thought it was funny. And it was the joke that was going around the school that day. And I told that joke. And I remember dad just, I mean, he didn't get angry. He didn't, uh, he didn't blow his you know top or anything like that. He just looked at me and he said, that joke is not funny. Jokes like that are not funny. And uh, if I remember correctly, the joke probably had a racial connotation of some sort. And that really, really struck me. I never told a joke like that 
from that point forward because of how seriously he addressed that particular conduct of mine. And it was very, very clear that what I had done in, in, in passing this joke along was wrong. And it wasn't the same kind of wrong that would send him over the top, like maybe losing a hammer or something like that. Well, that's wrong. Yeah, you don't want to lose one of Dad's hammers because that'll send him, you know, where's my hammer? Blah. No, this was so much far worse than that that he he just pierced, you know, a piercing eye looking at me uh, made it very, very clear right then and there that type of joke is not appropriate. It is not right. And uh, that had a very, very big impact on me, opened my eyes right then and there to, well, what was so wrong about it? And uh, both mom and dad, I think one of the things that I've carried with me is you respect everybody. There there are no lines drawn uh, between people for superficial things like uh, skin color, uh, origin, um, you know, language, uh, accent, whatever, those things are not lines that you draw between yourself and other people. Uh, and it was never something that I felt that, that we were brought up with, any type of uh, bias against or toward anyone else. So that's one thing that I cherish that that um, was handed down to all of us. Well, Dad's perspective of that, James, I think stems from him being an immigrant himself. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he had some very... Uh, he and mom had some very rude awakenings when they moved to Caldwell. He had a swastika burned into his grass of their yard. I mean, <laughs> that's not funny. No. And I, I think, you know, that's where he's coming from. That's where mom's coming from. Not only that, mom, as you, you had a great interview with mom, she lived around the world. She traveled yeah. the globe as a young, uh, young impressionable young adult. They both had the perspective of all people are created equal. And uh, I'm glad they passed that down to us. We never told those racial jokes in the house. We just knew it wasn't wasn't going to be tolerated. Not funny. Don't go there. Yeah, we don't, uh, we don't have jokes in my house. We have a lot of other stuff in our house, but we certainly don't have those kinds of jokes in our home. So. That, that's that been passed on as well. It, another thing I really appreciate about our upbringing is as, as strict as it was and as kind of regimented and routine and this is the way it is, um, the older we got, I noticed that that hard, that hard hand or that thumb on us um, backed off. At, at least it did with me. It was, it was in high school, actually. And there was no more... Um, how you wanted to think about things was left wide open. There was no more uh, lecturing about this is the way it is or this is the way you were supposed to think. And it, it was that that side of, of mom and dad that the discussion was always open. There, was, there were long debates that would happen around the table, especially on Sundays. And I, I always enjoyed it because they were very argumentative and it was never uh i don't i don't think i was ever judged for it and and i certainly i do the same with my kids uh, a lot of things i don't agree with and i enjoy a good argument uh but i appreciate that in them if they if they don't agree and the older they get the hopefully the more i'll back off and and let them make their mistakes mm. uh, and and to me that that reflects again this this idea of respect 
We were taught to respect them, but at the same time, when we reached an age where our opinions and our um, way of doing things was something that deserved respect, they were capable and willing to show that respect. For me, I think they they learned how to do that a little bit uh, with me. I think it was much more difficult for them to do that uh, since I was the first one through that grind, so to speak. Yeah, It took them a little bit longer to get to that point, but they did. And uh, I do remember that the, I believe the camel that, or the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was when I decided that I was no longer going to play the violin. And it took them a tremendous amount of willpower to respect that decision on my part. But that did, I think, it illustrated to me that, okay, they do respect me as an individual. There are other things that I would rather be doing with my time, with my, you know, with whatever free time I have. And they respected that. So I've learned, you know, I, I can say that I learned that, that that was something that was handed down to us by example. You know, not just not a lesson that that was read or a lesson that was, you know, lectured to us, but actually through example and how they treated the people around them and how they treated us. Hey, I'm just curious. It's kind of a random question. Did any of you guys ever get grounded? Did we even know what that word meant? Well, I uh, I remember some times in junior high that I wasn't grounded. Um, <laughs> it was very rare, but there were times that I actually got out of the house on a Friday night. Uh, <laughs> but uh, other than that, yeah. Grounded. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm clueless here. I must have missed all that. Jeez. Well, you got good grades. That's the thing. So it was about <laughs> grades. Okay. Yeah. 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 Get it. Bring home a D. Man, I don't know how many report cards I tossed in the ditch hoping man would find out. <laughs> I'm just like, please, please, don't find out. Where's your report you realize, card? I don't know. You realize he was a teacher. I know. Yeah. It wasn't fair. You know and when he, the grades he, came out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that the strictest discipline was attached to the report cards and the grades that came out. Yeah, I did take, I did alter one of my report cards. Oh, you gotta be kidding me! Did Did you get no. caught? No, I didn't. I changed a D to a B. John, it's the easiest thing in the world to do. Yeah, <laughs> you just got to get the same color ink and. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yep, I did it too. <laughs> you can also change an F to an A. I never had to do that. No, I never had an F, but I did get a D. And well, no, I got a B as far as I knew. But no, I got an F in Mrs. Zog's class. Oh, and that's the one I threw away in the ditch. <laughs> and I've tried to make amends for the lies that I told. But I did not want to be grounded that summer, so <laughs> I was. Yeah, I that, about that's a that. good question, though, Ben, because I don't remember being grounded ever. If I ever was, I don't remember it. Well, I mean, I understand the grades. I mean, that's one thing. But like an arbitrary parent, I'm in a bad mood, and you, you, you dumb kid, go to your room and don't come out. I mean, we were. I, I just don't remember that kind of a. No. Uh, uh, a short fuse. I mean, I was around my friends' parents quite a bit, and, and a lot of those parents, you know, I'll be respectful here, but I just looked at my buddies thinking, you're grounded? Man, what'd you do? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I don't know. <laughs> no, I was always tied to grades, and there was always a clear, concise, you will be ungrounded when this happens. You raise that D to a C, you are ungrounded. And 
That's the way it was. And they were very strict. No lenience. But it wasn't it wasn't arbitrary. There was a reason behind it. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we never got grounded because we were being annoying. I think that's very important because it, it really does teach the difference between right and wrong. You know, this is right, this is wrong. These are the consequences for, you know, not being right. And again it was it was tied to grades most of the time. I tell you, for me, probably the biggest thing that I've noticed about myself is what I got from dad is my quick fuse to anger at inanimate objects. <laughs> it's the most it's the most embarrassing thing you'll ever see, and to this day I still do it. I mean, I'll kick a toolbox. I'll Embrace it. Yeah, I'll throw a fit at that same hammer that I cannot find that I was just using. I, I throw adult fits about it, you know, and it's, I don't do it with people. Well, rare. But, uh, yeah, with tools, or it's embarrassing. That I got for sure. I remember watching Dad just rant and rave about where his hammer is. I mean, do you remember scrambling looking for his hammer? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, we, you know, we, we were the verbal punching bag. Find my hammer. Right. I, I didn't lose it. I don't know where you put it. Right. How you are really we supposed to know where it is? Yeah. I took one of Dad's hammers. I'll, 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 I'll confess to it right now. You know, he was looking for it forever and couldn't find it and ended up maybe probably having to get a different hammer. But that was the idea because I then had a hammer that I could find (laughs) when he lost his next hammer. I knew where that hammer was. (laughs) And he was like, and you could hear it coming, where's my hammer? And I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to give it about five minutes and then I'm going to come running back with this hammer. (laughs) <laughs> episode over man he's got his hammer he's happy yeah. and then then i would spend the rest of the day looking for that other hammer that he did lose so that i could take that one back and put it in that same little hiding spot and <laughs> rotate him out <laughs> rotate him around because uh, he was bound to lose that hammer i would have to say that's one of the things i inherited from dad too you know and it's not a good combination to go golfing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I think I think I would have wilted a few sailors a few times out there, <laughs> and, and people go golfing with me just to watch the fits. <laughs> like, Man, I miss golfing with you. This is fun, pets. All right. <laughs> Every time we get to a tee, they're just like, "All right, watch, watch, watch." They'll probably hit that tree over there, and then watch what happens. <laughs> It's like Yosemite Sam. <laughs> my my bishop golfs and um, the elders quorum president golfs, and I've promised them that I will never go golfing with them. <laughs> my son knows this about me. I've you know he's witnessed it so many times that a lot like me, I knew I knew Dad wasn't you know he, it was harmless. It was just his frustrations. And yeah. You know, whatever, I'll help you find your hammer. We got so used to it after a while. And my son is the same way. Last uh, last skiing season, I ran into the garage with the skis on top of the car. <laughs> and, That's right. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Yes. And... Uh, I just tore right into that g- garage, and the entire door just came down on top of the vehicle. That's and skis right. flew off everywhere. It was a mess. All the panels of the garage door fly, flying everywhere, the nuts and bolts, everything. Uh. And I, yeah, I threw a fit. 
and and it was late at night. We were doing night skiing, and we live in a very proper, very nice neighborhood. And uh, you know, you just you don't you're not loud in that kind of a neighborhood. You don't raise your voice in that kind of a neighborhood. And I was being loud, and Raquel comes out and shushing me, you know. <laughs> and but Ethan came out. This was late at night. It was freezing cold. He came out with his tools both our tools, and he helped me put the entire garage door back together again that night with me ranting and raving. He did not care one bit. He was just standing there helping out, you know, and he was having a blast. And I, I calmed down after a while, and and then we put the whole door together to get, you know, and, and I had a great time. I was just so shocked that he came out. <laughs> I, I asked Raquel, did you send him out there? You forced him out there to help me, didn't you? We, to, to shut me up because I was being so loud. I'm like, no, you just went out there. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I want to add something. I'm a little disappointed in last week's sports discussion because <laughs> no one mentioned that I am the best uh, basketball player. I think, and as long as we're talking about inheritance, I think I inherited all of the athletic abilities. <laughs> The family <laughs> listening to last week, so I'm just going to put that in there. <laughs> this is Dave. <laughs> I, you know, I look at some of the the uh, now that you mentioned it. I've seen some of the photographs of Dad when he was in the military, and what he and some of the other uh, soldiers would do when they were out on the beach and they would be doing these handstands and uh, these, I wouldn't really call them acrobatics, but it was some form of acrobatics. They'd be doing handstands on top of each other. And he was a fit and really, really, really well-coordinated guy. Yeah. I was going to say, I have a lot of good coordination. If I really put my mind to it, natural coordination. And I, th- I think both dad and mom had a lot of good coordination, good mm-hmm. balance good uh, high eye hand coordination uh, you know stuff like that and you know growing up I really saw dad run a whole lot or mom but the way they moved it was always very graceful very like they knew where their next step was going to be dad could hop over the goat's fence anytime you wanted to I mean you're right who who I mean, dives into manholes safely and and, and and chucks their baby safely to the side of the road. That's right. That's right. And uh, you know anyone who listened to last week's podcast would think, wow, these 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 poor kids had no you know no natural coordination or athletic ability. But that's, I think it was just a matter of growing into it. While we were growing, while I was growing anyway, I had none. But then all of a sudden, you know, I hit my senior year in high school, and and ooh. Wow, that's so neat to be able to put my feet where I want them to go, and that's where they go. And and so yeah, I you know I did inherit a certain degree of gracefulness um, from them. It just took a while for it to manifest itself for me to grow into it. Uh, but I, I took full well, advantage of that. That, uh, that you just failed to practice a little bit. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's what we're talking about. Really, I cannot get over. Uh, watching John try to shoot free throws. Uh, that was just... Was it that bad? That was painful to watch. I can't... Yeah. I, mean, uh, I have no idea. I, I, I've never seen myself throw, throw 
Is that bad, huh? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> you know, when you, when you talk about physical ability or, or physical makeup, there's a lot of things that we inherited for sure. I know that I inherited mom's uh, tall, skinny physique. And I think uh, many of us did. Ben, I'm, I'm sorry you're the, the exception to that. I go straight back to Grandfather Ludwig. Yeah. Man, I, I've seen enough pictures of that man to know that that's, uh, that's my genetic uh, gene pool right there. Right. Even right. the shape of his head. He, had a, he shaved his head, too. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You know, James, I inherited that, that same kind of skinny body, but I think that I spent my inheritance because it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, if you've got that skinny body inherent genetic code and you start to lose it, it it doesn't it, you don't take on that that husky look, you take on that pear-shaped look. <laughs> and yeah. it's it's one of those things I know I have got to really work on so that I don't end up looking like a pear with legs. Hey, you know, something that I wanted to bring up too, um you know, as I've uh, been in the military and, and and gone through a lot of training, especially when I was younger and uh, uh, I had a lot of a lot of hands-on work that needed to be done, I was always, and I'm not tooting my own horn, but I was always recognized by my superiors or a sergeant or a first sergeant or a company commander or something. They knew my name because they knew I could get the job done. They knew I would volunteer. They knew that I would work hard because I had been working hard and I had a really strong work ethic. I knew what needed to be done. I could see it. I could see a better way to do it than what was going on. And I could um, get it done quicker, better, more effectively. And uh, people were naturally drawn to do it the same way because they could see it happening like that. And I think that that is something that we've all inherited from watching mom and dad work, seeing dad working all the time. And dad would always point out to me a better way to do something. He wouldn't force me to do it, but he would show me a better way to do it. You know, that whole work smarter, not harder thing. You know, dad really, you know, tried to ingrain that. At least that's that's what I remember. I, I take that as one of my the greatest inheritance that I got from, from, from both parents is the ability to work hard. The, the critical thinking that has to go into working smart while working yeah. hard is we, something that's you can't put a price tag on it. And tonight, the boys were so eager to help me. We, we were stacking, chopping, and stacking wood, and I had a big pile. And they were walking around the pile to the furthest edge to select a piece that they could carry back. And I just reverted right back into dad. What the heck are you guys doing? Think this through. <laughs> you got a piece right here, two feet from where you want to stack it. And you're stepping over 30 pieces to get there. And I just lay in them and they're looking at me like, what are you saying, Dad? You mean there's a different way to do it? And I'm like, yeah, look, watch. And I just showed them. And then before you know it, they're doing it the way I want them to do it. And I, I had that thought, well, I'm going to be talking about inheritance tonight. And here I am doting on my kids, making sure they know how to stack a piece of firewood correctly so as to not waste energy and time. Right. Something that simple. The other element to that is with limited resources, you know, getting a job done with limited resources and maybe not the best set of tools or the best uh, setup or the best materials necessarily, but still being able to get the job done and getting it done not just 
you know, uh, well enough to pass by, but really well done. Get it done and get it done to a, a, uh, a certain degree of excellence with, again, minimum resources, maximum amount of effort and brain power. Uh, definitely something that I think we picked up. Well, and as a kid, I must admit, I, out of all of us brothers, I was probably the biggest slacker. I was always trying to get out of doing work, always trying to ride my bike somewhere. When Dad would tell me, go pull weeds for half an hour, I would go into the field, rub my hands on the grass, get them green, and lay there for half an hour, and then go show And I'd say, all right, I pulled some weeds, and Dad would say, show me your hands. And I knew that's what he would do, and I'd show him my hands. They're green, and all right, I'm gone. I'm going to Alex's house, you know? And, you know, and, and so... Dad, dad comes to an army drill or whatever for the family, and the guy's like, "Well, I don't know what you taught your son, but he sure works hard." He looks at me. He's got this look in his face, like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where he got it. Uh, I okay, James. I know we're probably about out of time here, but who else could figure out how to change a tire without a jack stand? By using yeah. a tree stump, a very long two by twelve, and another vehicle, it's brilliant. I mean, I'm like, Dad, how do we change this tire? Well, let's get this tree stump and jam this two by twelve under the bumper, and then you get down there, and we're gonna both push down on it and lift the car up. And I don't know how we held it there, but we drove the other car backwards and pinned the two by 12 under the bumper of the other car. So that lifted the other car in the air. Are you kidding me? Are, we're, is this America? <laughs> I'm thinking it worked. It wasn't the prettiest thing in the world, but we're getting the tire changed <laughs> because we couldn't find the car jack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There have been many times in my professional career where people are just sort of sitting there scratching their heads going, well, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to do this because we don't have the right software or we don't have the right this or the right that. And I'm like, what are you guys nuts? Just, just figure it out, you know. Include something together. This can be done. You know, goodness sake, I've seen harder problems like this solved with a whole lot less effort and, and resources. And I think I get that definitely from from growing up. And it, it wasn't just dad. I mean, it was mom, too. The, the amount of creativity and effort in uh, putting together, first of all, the wardrobes and the uh, menus, you know, the things that we ate, the things that we wore, that with limited res- the limited resources that they had, it was a miracle that they were able to pull it off. Do you remember the costumes, the Robin Hood costumes oh, made out of yeah. the, the chair, the, the vinyl <laughs> chair covering material? Yeah. Scarred me for I life. I mean, those, those were prize-winning costumes. They were. I didn't I mean, care. Awesome. <laughs> I did not care what it prize like they Scarlet, threw at me. It was like Scarlett O'Hara pulling down the, the, <laughs> the curtains, drapes, turning them into a dress. It was that dramatic. I mean, mom was awesome. Yeah, very, very resourceful. I think that. But at the time, it wasn't. It didn't smell like china. It wasn't plastic. It wasn't a ghost. Yeah, it wasn't what everybody else was wearing. I had a real good costume, and I didn't appreciate what I had. Yeah, yeah. I remember that lion costume, Uh, James. You were in a play. Yeah, we were in. Mom, make that. 
She yeah. made that. Yeah. yeah she made that. that. great costume. Yeah. I remember I wore it to school once. I'm, I'm glad you guys are mentioning this because it leads to this, this uh, I think this thing we all have is a certain degree of creativity and a lack of fear when it comes to jumping into the unknown and see, well, let's see what we can put together with this. So let's, let's see what we can do with that. I have no fear when it comes to trying uh, to do new things or to try to build something out of something else. Um, it may not always work, but I certainly have no inhibition in doing that. And I do think that that comes from the creativity that mom and dad had in, in the things that they built in that household. Well, um, I don't know who mentioned it, but you were right. We we have spent a good deal of time talking tonight. <clears throat> and uh, I think this is a good place for us to um, call it an evening. This has been a, for me, it's been a very special uh, discussion because it's important, I think, for us to identify those parts of us that hail back to the generation and generations before us. I will enjoy listening to this podcast. I know it may not be one of those podcasts that people will listen to and crack up laughing throughout most of it, but uh, in my mind, it's a it's a precious one in terms of its content. So thanks, thanks again, everybody. I really appreciate it. So for tonight, we'll call it an evening. Thanks for listening. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. We'll see you later. James, I, I should probably come clean with uh, with everybody on this inheritance topic because I did receive uh, a check in the mail the other day, and I should probably tell you guys about it. Yeah, whatever. I received a phone call from Tony that the Canyon Teachers Credit Union had an open account with my name on it, and it was co-signed with Dad, and they needed to have proof of residence and some just some basic information so I they wouldn't release the amount. I'm not making this up. You guys can think what you want, but I finally received my check, and my inheritance, are you guys ready, was $178.15. And I'm looking at the check right here. The Canyon Teachers Credit Union. I guess it's an account I, I forgot all about. Uh, yeah. I must have been in high school or something, and uh, I earned uh, $9 last year on interest, so... Bravo. So I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that is funny you brought that up, Ben, because it, when when this when this topic was brought up inheritance, it didn't even occur to me that that the word could also imply money. <laughs>